Good evening. Let's open up our Bibles to Psalm chapter 34. We're going to go through Psalms. Psalm 34 has 22 verses in it. I think we can get through it without too much time. Um, I tried to, you know, when they asked me to take care of tonight, I, I tried to find something easy. That's just how I am, meandering to the, uh, the easy way out, okay? But um, that doesn't happen in the Word of God. There is nothing easy. And uh, when you see Xavier up here, he has, he has studied. And uh, I was just sharing with somebody how amazing it is because he'll do... Sunday morning, two services. He does Sunday night. He does Thursday night. He does a leadership meeting on, uh, once a month. He does the Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. I don't know. I, I actually, I found out who goes to those meetings. They're the crazy ones. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, they're good. Uh, just amazing. And all the stuff that he studies, he just gets he gets through a lot. It's just amazing to me. But you know what? And I was just sharing with somebody how, that, how that's something that he loves to do. He loves it. You know what? If you don't love doing this, you're, you're going to burn out. There's going to come a day where you don't want to be there. You know, I've been up here serving, and, and it's just a joy to serve with them and, and everyone who's involved in worship ministry. And they do it because they want to do it. I'm not dragging anybody up here. Because if we were up here because we just felt compelled to and we didn't want to really. I mean, the next big event that takes place on a Sunday, you're out of here. You're like, I don't want to be there. You know, but it's just, it just blows me away. And uh, Psalm 34 has so much into it. And as I got into it, I got more into it and more into it. And I said, oh, no, this is not easy. This, there's a lot to it. Uh, just amazing stuff. Let's read 34. It's 22 verses. <clears throat> starting in verse 1. Uh, a psalm of David when he pretended madness over Abimelech, or before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. It's a little, little intro there. Verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant. And their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. 
Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. Verse 22, The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, we pray, Father, that you would teach us and show us, Lord, how blessed it is to trust in you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this psalm was written by David. And um, we suspect that he's, re, he's remembering this situation here and it caused him to write this down. Now, when you are someone who uh, is good at something and you do it well, then you don't have to be always reminding other people. They, they know. Now, let's say that you could trust in the Lord, that you have no problem trusting in God. Let's say that David had no problem trusting God and that he could tell his children, hey, I know what I'm doing. I know how to trust God. Listen to me. But that's not what's happening here. What happened here was, you know what? Now that I remember, I, I, I had a really hard time trusting God. So listen to me, children. Trust in the Lord. You know why? Because I didn't. Because I had a hard time. And you know what makes me think that? Look at this superscript at the beginning. A psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away um, and he departed. So let's get into that a little bit. The, uh, the name of Abimelech um, means my father, the king. And it's kind of a title name, like, uh, like you're saying the pharaoh. His name is not the pharaoh, but that's his title, like Caesar. You know, that's not his name, but he's the Caesar. You know, it's like you go up to the president and you say, Mr. President, you don't call him. You don't go walk up to him and say, hey, Donald, how you doing? You know, you're Mr. President, the queen, you say, your majesty, you're right. They're, they're titles. And that's what this, uh, that's what Abimelech has, that's his, his name here. It refers to him, the king, Abimelech. Because if you go to First Samuel chapter 21, you'll see this whole situation that David's talking about. He's talking about a man named Achish. Now, Achish was his name, but he's Abimelech, Achish. So, Saul's here, here, Saul is here in chapter 20 when he's chasing David to kill him. David 
in his desperation, he runs off to who? The Philistines. Do we remember the Philistines? Yes, we do. Did they, were they friendly with David? No, they weren't. Why is David running to the Philistines for his life? Because he trusts in the Lord? Hmm. Let's see. Only three chapters earlier in, uh, I think it's, uh, in chapter 17 of Samuel, I believe, where David kills many Philistines in battle. And now he's standing before the king of the Philistines. His, and his servants, they start, they start looking at David, and uh, maybe they're court advisors, you know, by the king, and they're reminding the king that this is David, enemy of their people. They said, hey, hey, isn't that that guy? Remember that little song that they used to sing? Saul is slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. They even knew that song. The Israelites were singing that song about David, and, and they knew it. The Philistines, like, yeah, don't you remember this guy? This is the guy they sang the song about, that little song. And I'm sure they did not like that song. And uh, so they also, uh, I'm sure, they were reminded of uh, their famed warrior Goliath. Because the king, Abimelech, Achish, was the king in Gath. And Goliath was from Gath. And if we look back in Samuel, uh, where David is running, before he gets to the Philistines here, he actually runs to a priest because he's hungry. And that's where he eats the showbread and everything else. And, but he doesn't have a weapon either. And the priest says, no, no, take this one. And it's Goliath's sword. And so David says, okay, yeah, I'll take that. And then where does he go? He goes to Gath. So here he is standing in front of the king, the one who killed Goliath, and then he's carrying his sword, too. Oh, they knew who he was. They go, hey, wait a minute, he has his sword, too. Oh, boy, that... So is David trusting in, in, in the Lord here? What, what is he doing? But he's, he's, he's bringing this back up because he wants to tell us something, and he writes it down in Psalm 34. So David, realizing that he's standing here in the palace of his enemy, surrounded by death, they could have just killed him right there on the spot. And uh, he pretends to be a crazy man. He pretends to go crazy, and he's, he's letting saliva drip down his beard. He's scratching on the doors like a cat. I mean, who... This is the king. So the king says, this is the guy? No, I have enough crazy people around here. Get, get the guy out of here. And they let him go. And so here's David now. He's running. And then he runs and hides in these caves afterwards. But he had to be thinking, they let me go. <laughs> they actually believe. They let me go. But you know what? He knows it was the Lord. The Lord did that. The Lord made sure that he was free. So here in this intro to this psalm, David remembers he pretends to be a madman, but he's not foolish enough to brag or boast proudly of how it all happened. Here is just a little superscript in front of the verse. Just when this happened, this is what I'm writing about. He doesn't go into the detail like I just did. So 
He says, no, it's, that's all you need to know. Let other people tell you about it. See, when we're rescued from sin and there's forgiveness and there's renewal, we can learn from David's example, not parade around our sin before others, you know, as, as if you were proud of your sins. We can't be proud of our sins. What would happen, let's say, if it was the prodigal son, that whole story of the prodigal son that Jesus gave and he came home and he was a broken man. Right? He wasted everything that his father gave him. And he ran back to the father. And on his knees, he's begging for forgiveness. and Take me back, he's saying. And his father takes him back. But what would be, what would be his attitude if he came back and he told him all about all of his, all of his, his exploits? Oh, hey, dad, I did this, I did that, I was drunk, I had women, da, 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 and just bragged about it. That would be a different person. That would not be this broken man. Anyway, let's uh, go into verse 1 here. Um, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. He is fixed. He is resolved. He says, I'm going to bless the Lord. It is happening. There is, a, there is never an unreasonable time to bless the Lord and to praise Him. And you know, every time we get together, we do that. In fact, with this big mouth of mine, I'm going to be praising the Lord. I'm going to be, and I got involved in worship and ministry. You've got to be resolved to do it. Do you realize how big a deal it is? Because <laughs> here in Psalm 34, he keeps mentioning his mouth. The things that you say are the things that you think and they're coming out. This is an important thing to have it on your mouth. Blessings of the Lord. Worship and praise. The things you say. I know the things you eat too, but we'll save that for later. Is, is praises of the Lord coming out of your mouth all day long? Or maybe you're a jokester. You like goofing around and trying to make people laugh all day and you're never serious. And that used to be kind of like, like me. But, well, at least, you know, I, I, at least I settled down a bit and Beth used to want to kill me. I was never serious. Now I just make her crazy. Let's go to verse 2. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it. And be glad. This kind of boasting is coming from the inside. You heard the term opening up. When we begin to open up, like to friends, others around us, they see, they see you with new eyes. You're a different person. You're showing them what is going on on the inside, you're in your life. And if you're boasting in the Lord, those humble those believers, those humble believers, they'll understand it. Right? He says in verse 2, the humble shall hear it. They know what that's all about. The people in the believers around you, when you're boasting about what God has done in your life, they understand it. Now, you tell it to the world, somebody at work or whatever, your boss, they're like, you're nuts. Get out of here. They don't quite understand it. God has done in your life and the things in your life and uh, 
We're encouraged to continue to keep walking this victorious life in obedience to God. Your life is a witness. Your life uh, is encouragement to others. Verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. The psalmist is determined he's going to be doing this with or without you. <laughs> but he's inviting us to come along for the ride. It's, it's what uh, music and worship ministry is all about. We're, we're up here worshiping, and we're inviting you to come along. We're hoping that you're encouraged to spend some time with us in worship. There are times when uh, I have these deep, powerful moments um, when I'm worshiping the Lord. And there's something that uh, it just happens every now and then. Moments where I'm just singing. I could be worshiping in my car with the radio. Doesn't that happen to you guys sometimes? You're... You, this song comes on and you're, you start worshiping right there. You don't need to be right here. You don't need to be here. But you, you can be worshiping the Lord here as well. And there's something amazing about being in a room like this and worshiping the Lord together. He says, let us exalt his name together. It's an amazing time when we're together doing it. Okay, you can have your moment at home or in your car uh, or maybe with your best friend. But when you're in a room filled, and if you sit up front, you could hear everybody singing. (laughs) And you're in the back, you don't hear everyone's voices coming this way. And I'm up here and I could hear everyone's voices coming up. Oh, it's such an amazing thing to worship the Lord together. Exalt his name together. A room where everyone is lifting up their voices to God, not to us or not to Xavier, not to God. That is an amazing thing. David, the psalmist, is encouraging us to do this. It's not about these lights. It's not about the music. It's not even about emotions. It's about exalting his name together as a family. A family that is loving on the Father. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Listen to the testimony of a man who has experience. David, he went to God. And do you want to be delivered from all your fears? Fears, real fears. This is what he's talking about. I went to the Lord. I sought God. I went to look for him. And he heard me. Real fears like like dying. Dying is a real fear. We all have it. Are you afraid of dying? Are you afraid that your husband is going to leave you? Are you afraid that your wife is unfaithful? Are you afraid of uh, losing your job? Are you afraid of getting your car stolen? These are real fears. Are you afraid someone's going to find out your deepest, darkest secrets? Now, I'm not making light of these things. They're real. But look for God. Don't look so much into the fear. Look for God. Wouldn't it be nice to be delivered from all of our fears? Yes. Verse 4, that's what he's saying. God will deliver us from all these fears. Look at verse 5. They looked to him and were radiant. Their faces were not ashamed. 
This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. David is speaking in third person, of course. He cried out. He's talking about himself. Did he scream? No, he didn't scream. You know what screaming is all about? No. Did, did he talk to God? No. We could talk. We could talk all day. That's not what he's saying. He cried. He cried. David knew how to cry. You know how to cry? I mean, we all know how to cry. But when was the last time that you cried to the Lord? Especially you men, I know. You know, we're too manly for that. We're too proud. It's true, but, um, you know, we're not making decisions on emotions. And, and, and we shouldn't be afraid to cry out to the Lord. The Lord will hear you. In troubles, that's something we, we must do, men, women, everyone. That's something we got to do. We all have troubles. Don't we? Nobody, nobody escapes life without troubles. I pray that we don't uh, stop ourselves from, uh, from going to the Lord, especially in time of need, and cry out to him. All those who have gone to the Lord, they came back with faces glowing with joy. Verse 5, that's what it says. They looked at him, were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. Their radiant is, is, is a shining light. Their faces were glowing. People who go to the Lord, they come back with joy. You ever see somebody's face glowing with joy? Not with heads bowed low in shame. David talks about himself, this poor man. He, he, he's calling himself a poor man. He has no visions of grandeur about who he is, no illusions. He's like, this poor man. In humility, he's humble about it. But he's referring also to this time when he's, he had to pretend like he was a crazy man. This poor man, he's saying, was about to die. <laughs> and God saved him. He was alone. He had no protection. He indeed was a poor man. He didn't stand up there and say, don't you know who I am? You know, come on, I'm King David. Because yeah. the days in which David is referring to here, Saul was the king. But he was rejected by God. And the kingdom was taken away from him, remember? But uh, Saul wouldn't let it go. He kept hanging on to it and was chasing David to kill him. And David was friendless. He was alone. He was homeless. This poor man. And Saul was, was refusing to just walk away and turn over the crown. And do you realize how many people died as a result of uh, Saul's actions here? Even his family. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. The angel of the Lord. Throughout the Old Testament, there's appearances of the angel of the Lord. David's referring to this person right here. This is messianic. The angel of the Lord. Notice David gives him characteristics that belong to God. And camping all around. Who does that? God. 
those who fear him and delivers them. Who delivers them? God. The angel of the Lord, he's giving the angel of the Lord characteristics of the Lord, of God. 1 John 4.12 tells us no one has seen God at any time. So, this is not God the Father. It's not the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Helper. God the Son. Taking a type of body form. And we know who did that. Later. Jesus. Awesome. The uh, angel of the Lord appears to Hagar as early as Genesis chapter 16. And then to Abraham in chapter 18 of Genesis and 22. And it was the angel of the Lord who stopped Abraham from the obedient sacrifice of Isaac, his son, on Mount Moriah. Remember that? The angel of the Lord called out to Abraham and stopped him. He was on the downswing, ready to sacrifice his own son in obedience. And later, that same sacrifice is allowed to be completed. As Jesus is crucified on that very same mountain. And knowing the Lord probably in that very same spot. But he's grand like that. In Genesis 31, to Jacob, the angel of the Lord appears. In Exodus, to Moses. In the book of Joshua, to Joshua. In the book of Judges, to Gideon. He even appears to Samson's parents. Just awesome thing. Let's go to verse 8 through 14. David's invitation here. He's inviting us to live and learn. In verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. And that's, that's the, uh, the title of our teaching tonight. Trusting in the Lord. And blessed are you if you do this. And David is saying this because, you know what? He had a hard time doing this. And you're blessed if you do it. The challenge is, challenge is given to us to taste it for yourself. It's like he's saying, go ahead, taste it. It's good. You ever have anyone give you some food and say something you've never eaten before? And you're like, no, 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 I'm not eating that. Like, Taste it. Go ahead. It's good. Trust me. So God is saying, trust me. It's good. It reminds me of uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Um, God is saying, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And I'm not talking about tithes and offering, but I'm just saying it as a reference. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. God is saying, try me. Come on, try me. Taste it for yourself. How many times through the scriptures is God asking us to give him a chance? Just give me a chance. Try me. And he's asking all of this because we don't, do we? We, we, we do things on our own. Like, oh, I could do it. No, I don't need, I don't need God. You know, he's continually coming back to us. Now, Jesus is not going to barge into your heart and say, you need to get saved and I'm going to get in there. 
He has perfect manners. And Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Somebody with good manners knows when they go up to the door, they're going to knock. They're not going to barge in and just say, Hey, you know, like it's your house. You knock. It's not your house. You knock. And Jesus is standing at the door. And he says, he knocks. And he says, if anyone hears my voice, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, he's not going to open it. You're going to open it. He says, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And that is an awesome thing. Because if you think about friends who come over, that you invite over, they knock on your door. You don't just come in and sit around. Right away, it's like, hey, you want some water? Oh, hey, we brought some food. And here, Jesus is saying, I'm going to dine with you. Hey, I brought some food too. And we're all going to hey, bring everything out and just sit down and, and, and dine together. Jesus is saying, this is going to be a good time. If we open the door and we let him in. Verse 9, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There's no, there is no want to those who fear him. See, when you have a healthy fear of something, you respect it, right? For example, like if you were to work at a zoo, and you have a respect for those wild animals. They're wild animals. If you have respect for them, you'll be safe. I mean, you won't get you know, your arm bitten off or you won't get dragged into, dragged away by a, you know, 15-foot python or something, You're, you'll be safe because you'll know the rules and you'll obey them. You have a respectful fear when you're working at the zoo. And it's a good fear to have. Uh, sometimes you can even get too close to your dog and when he's eating and he's, you get your food and he's, you got to respect your dog too. I mean, you want to get your hand bitten off. A fear is respect, a respectful fear of the Lord. He's saying, fear the Lord. And who is he talking to? The unbeliever? No, he's talking to you, his saints, he says. Fear the Lord, you, his saints. You guys believe. You need to have a respectful fear of the Lord. Verse 10, the young lions, since we're talking about animals here, the young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Even the lion cubs, strong, mighty lions. The lion cubs, they, they hunger. They suffer too. But God feeds them. The lions know how to feed their young. How much more the Lord for his children. Remember Matthew chapter 6? Are you not more value, of more value than they? He's talking about birds and animals. Yes, you are. You're more valuable. Verse 11. Come, you children. Listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. All right. Here's the teaching of the fear of the Lord. And it's a form of a question. See, God wants you to think. Who's the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Uh... Everyone, we all want to live a nice long life. We all want to live a good long time, don't we? Who's the one who wants a 
to live a nice long life. Everyone. Charles Spurgeon once said, to teach men how to live and how to die is the aim of all useful religious instruction. Wow. Look, everyone wants to live long life. We all do, but um, what do you want... What you, what you don't want is to have a long, meaningless life. Nobody wants that. John 10.10 10 says, the thief, comes to, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. How is that going to happen? The fear of the Lord. That's how it's going to happen. A respectful fear of the Lord. You, his saints. You're going to have life more abundantly. Verse 13 says, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. See, not, not just see good, looking at others doing good things. Do good them. You do them. Do good. Seek peace and pursue it, he says. Remember the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5? Blessed are the meek, the merciful, undefiled, the poor in spirit, the poor in heart. And the last one, blessed are the peacemakers. Go after it. Seek it. Chase it down like it's running from you. Chase it. It requires action to have this fear, this respectful fear of the Lord. And he says, blessed are you. You're going to be blessed if you do this. Your life is going to, you're going to be living life abundantly. You're going to have blessings. You know, when, and I say this to my to my sons every now and then, I go, when, you, when you're doing good things and you're obeying your parents and you're obeying the rules, that's because we are also doing things as we obey the Lord. So when you're obeying us, you're obeying the Lord. They, they, don't, they don't buy that sometimes. But I, I tell them, you know you're making God smile when you obey the rules. I said that to a young man that I used to work with. He was thinking about getting married. And I said, you know, marriage is from the Lord. God invented marriage. And he believed in God, so he listened to me. And I go, he was debating whether he should get married. And I said, do it. Get married. God invented that, and that's a wonderful thing. In fact, you're going to make God smile when you marry. Because when you get married, you're doing something he laid down. And you're promising and committing to your wife. You're making God smile. When you make God smile, blessings come your way. When people are really nice to my kids, I'm really nice to these people. I love these people. Say really nice things to my kids. Oh, I, I, you can come over anytime. You know. And that's, that's me. I mean, how much the Lord, when you're doing things, you're doing good. Not just sitting seeing good, you're doing good. And you're making God smile and he just can't help pour down all these blessings on you. Now also, God's 
God promises deliverance. Look at verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. Now, who are the righteous? Who are these righteous people that David's talking about? The people who are seeking after God to do his will. That are in his obedience, right? You're doing things that are right. You are righteous. You are obeying God. You're a righteous person, all of you. And God sees you. God hears you. He not only sees you, but he hears you. And that's a comfort to us because we can know with surety that during our troubles, because everybody has them, he's with us. He hears us. When we are overwhelmed with our troubles and we're crying out, he hears the cry. When we're in trouble and we're not, maybe we're so confounded, we don't say a word. He sees us, not only hears us, but sees us. Isn't that awesome? We're not alone. Well, the, uh, the people who believe in uh, extraterrestrials will say we're not alone too, but that's not what I'm talking about. We're not alone. You can tell them, that's correct, we're not alone, because God is watching us. Now, wouldn't it be good to know that the creator of the universe, the almighty, sovereign God, is on your side. He's on your side. But, that, but if that's something that bothers you, like uh, you think that you, know, you, don't want, you don't want God always watching you, you, know, you, you kind of freak out about that or something, it bothers you. You think that if you reject God, that he's not going to be watching? Well, think again. Look at Proverbs 15. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Now, I want the eyes of the Lord on me so he could see me and hear me. But I don't want him just to be watching me like it says in Proverbs 15. Would you rather have God just watching you? Like, you know, when you walk into a room and you see these bad kids walk in, and you know they're bad kids, and you say to the other adults in the room, keep an eye on those kids. You're not saying that because they're good kids. You're saying that because you know they're troublemakers. We're keeping watch on them. You know, But that's not the kind of attention that you want from God to be watching you. I'm going to keep my eye on you because I know you're in trouble. I know you keep doing this thing. I'm keeping an eye on you. No, you want the eyes of the Lord on you and his ears open to you so you can run to him. He's seeing you so that he can protect you, so he can keep you safe because he loves you. Not because uh, you're a big troublemaker, you know. That's the contrast here. But here's the contrast of, uh, of verse 15 back in Proverbs 34, verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil 
to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. See, the world and its lust for money, for power, God is not helping them in this. God doesn't even allow them to be remembered. He's saying, I'm cutting off even the memory of them. Wow. They won't be remembered. And then, in contrast, God hears the righteous. He delivers them. Let's go to verse 18. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. See, forgiveness is found when we trust in God. Forgiveness is found in the heart of the person who can break down that proud, cold heart, breaking it down by what? Confession, yeah. See, the guilt is doing its job. It's bringing remorse. Those who, those are the ones who he saves. Your heart is open. You've broken. It was a hard rock. You didn't allow God in, but you broke it. And now it's open. And you make that contrition, that, that confession to the Lord, where you're going to turn around, you're going to repent. That guilt is working in your heart. And you're like, I repent, Lord. I no longer want to do those things. I no longer want to live that life that I was living. I no longer want to have you just keeping a watchful eye on me because I'm troubled. I want to be close to you so that when your eyes are on me, you're helping me so that your ears are open to hear my cry when I need it. The Lord is near those people. And we have to ask ourselves, are we those kind of people with our hearts open? Verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. He's not saying we're not going to have any troubles. The troubles everyone has. We all have them. In fact, he says, they are many. He goes, but here's the good thing. When God is, has his eyes on you and his ears open to you, the Lord delivers him out of them all, all of them. There's always that, but God. You know, you have your troubles, you have this problem happening, but, but God, the Lord will deliver you. Verse 20, he guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. Another messianic message here mentioned, our second one mentioned here. Not a bone of Jesus was broken. How did David know this? Inspired by the Holy Spirit. Inspiration. You find that in John 19, 33. Not one bone was broken. And you know what was amazing is that when they, in crucifixion, they break their legs. And that was supposed to be merciful. So if they break their legs, they die faster. And they went up to Jesus and he was already gone. 
And so they didn't break his legs. Prophecy. This has been spoken of hundreds of years before it happened. Amazing. David knew the angel of the Lord. David knew who the Messiah was. David knew the deliverance that God could bring because he was in situations where he needed to be delivered. He was in situations where he was not trusting in God. You don't run to your enemy for help. You know, that's not a good thing. And so he's, he's learned something here. And he wants us to learn too. He's given us some advice. Verse 21. Evil shall slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The evil deeds that the world is doing will eventually consume them. They're, they're, uh, they're not getting away with it. Don't worry, God has, has it all under control. God sees the hearts of those that even hate you. And he says, they're judged. Condemnation is upon them. Right? Verse 21, those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. They're judged. God sees even their hearts. Wow. And then look at the contrast in verse 22. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. The evil, the people who hate you, they're condemned already. God is judging them. But if you're trusting in the Lord, you're not condemned. It's exactly the opposite. In trusting the Lord, you are calling. He is calling you his own. You were lost. And now redeemed. No longer lost, but found. And you're made new. You're not the condemned. <laughs> That's awesome because you trust in the Lord. And so how are you doing trusting in the Lord? We have a lot of things that we pray for here at church. We get a lot of phone calls. We get a lot of people come in off the street. We get a lot of people visiting us to, for just prayer. And we have to point to them. We point them to the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And these are issues that we pray for on the phone and in person. They're real issues. And we, we're not making light of, that, of any of it. But here are some promises from the Lord. And one of them is trust in Him. Now, I know, like I said earlier, <clears throat> we all want to live a long life. Nobody wants to die. But we all want to live a long, meaningful, abundant life. And sometimes 
There's sickness, there's disease, and people get taken home. And I'm not making light of it, but they're, they're no longer sick, but they're with the Lord. And that trusting that you had, you didn't get healed, but you went to the Lord. Paul is saying he would rather go to the Lord, but it is beneficial that I stay. He didn't want to stick around anymore. He would rather go. The knowledge he had about what was waiting for him and the trust he had in the Lord that once the pain of death was over, he was going to be taking his first breath in front of the Lord, in his presence. We could trust in that. If he doesn't answer our prayers and this disease takes over, whatever it is, We're going to be with him. We can trust in that. And none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. You're going to walk in. And what does Jesus say? I go to prepare a place for you. So where I'm going, you can come too. Right? He has a place prepared for us. Man, that's something to trust about as well. So here's David reminding all of us that he had this situation where he did not trust in God. But God cleared the way and delivered him from what was certain death. And he's remembering this and he wants to teach us. Look, you can trust in the Lord because it happened to me when I didn't trust in the Lord. And now it could happen with you. How amazing is that? That is so awesome. Matthew 10.32 says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. So we have that opportunity every time we get together here to invite the Lord to come into our hearts. And he says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. He's going to go right up to God and say, look, this is one of my own. He trusts in me. God, let's get his place ready. John 3.16, we all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He just wants to get you there. I say that to my kids. Please, I just want to get you into heaven because you know what? Someday I'm not going to be around. But that's where you're going to find me. I just need you to get there. And how many times is God saying this to us? We, went, we just went through the whole study of the minor prophets. And it's like, remember me, remember me. God is constantly saying, hey, remember me. I'm over here. 
And we so easily forget because we get so busy with our lives. We get so busy with work and and God is there. And he wants us to give, to open that door in our hearts so he can come in. So we can break that that hard, cold stone of our hearts. Break it so he can come in. Open the door and let him in. Trust in him. Trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We do want to trust in you, Lord. Father, we do want to be able to give our lives to you. Father, as your word says, that if we trust in you, we shall not be condemned. We thank you, Lord, for that promise. And Lord, you also say that if we confess to you, Lord, that you will confess us to our Father in heaven. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that we can trust in you with our lives to live an an abundant life, not a long, meaningless life, but a long, abundant life serving you, God. And so, Lord, as we worship you, Lord, I pray that if there's someone here who wants to give their life to you fully, Father, that they could pray this prayer. While we're all praying and our eyes are closed, if you're sitting here and you want to start trusting in the Lord and give your life fully, you say this prayer with me and Jesus says he will come in and he will give you a new life. Say, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I give you my life. I want to trust in you. I want you to come into my heart. I repent from my sin. And I give you my heart. I trust in you, Lord. Pray in Jesus' name.